The Kinkier World podcast is for adults only. We ask that all listeners be responsible for their own safety when they engage in play. We're not responsible for their actions. There she lusted after her lovers, whose genitals were like those of donkeys, and whose emission was like that of horses. So you longed for the lewdness of your youth when in Egypt your bosom was caressed and your young breast fondled. Uh, Ezekiel 23, 20 through 21. Great way to kick off today's sermon, or kinky podcast, as I like to call it. And I'm not the only one here to podcast kinkshuli. I'm joined with my pup, Evie. Or are you? Dun, dun, dun. Have you, have you longed for the lewdness of your youth? Hi, my name is Evie. I'm asexual. <laughs> Lewd is not generally a word I use to describe many parts of myself. <laughs> what I like is, um, so the, the names of kind of the people involved in that, um, in Hebrew, this is one of my favorite facts, is Ahula and, uh, Ahuli Ba, I think. And then, so Ahula means her tent. And then Ahuli Ba means my tent is in her. So uh, there we go. A little um, little Hebrew lesson uh, after the Bible study. Great. Welcome to the Kinkier World podcast. We're all about making the world kinkier. Doing what we can. For example, but there's some stuff we just don't do. Uh, there are other people doing their things, like topiarists putting together reclining women and then getting upset that people fake have sex with it. I'm sure somebody's actually tried to fuck it, but I think for most people it's a joke. Uh, and that's over in old uh, London, not London, shit, I, uh, <laughs> in Sheffield in the UK. Fuck, that was... Uh, yeah, <laughs> look at me, an American not knowing anything about the UK. And uh, he's apparently quite annoyed that the drunk people walk by and act like they have sex with it. So that is courtesy of the BBC. Well, I mean, all that's going to happen now is he's not going to have any bush left after the BBC wrote that article. So he might want to put a fence around it. Dropping the bush jokes. Was it a bush joke? Did I make a bush joke? Well, I'm confused. Yeah. Yeah, because, like, Bush, get it? Not George Bush. The sexual, the lady's sexual part that um, is often Women are born completely hairless. To. I have no idea what you're talking about. Do they maintain that hairlessness? Yes. No, they, question. uh... Okay. Never, except for the beautiful, luscious hair in our head, which is always at least past waist length. Uh, absolutely no hair anywhere at any time will ever be found. Well, yeah, I mean, like, um, f like fashion is cyclical, right? So, inevitably, at some point, it's going to well, come back. Well, I mean, so if we're talking about that, it's like 30-year cycles, right? Which is why we have, like, the 1980s did the 1950s, and now we're back in that again. So now we're in the 2020s. Uh, eventually will be when the 50s fashion, supposedly, if that is how the cycle works, will be back around. But if... Bush thing was gonna come back it would have been like now and I mean I guess we kind of have that because people are more pro pro growing out their armpit hair and dyeing it and uh, I mean there's definitely I think a landscaping requirement of some sort in, out there like people will probably never fully accept the like 
crazy 70s <laughs> porno image i don't think again this century but we'll see we'll see okay now that i'm deeply uncomfortable let's move on anyways uh on with the show itself that i won't deal with bigfoot pornography in any way whatsoever don't even bother asking so the topic we're going to talk about today is actually touches on a topic that we have talked about in the past, uh, going a little further in depth into it, and that is Rack. So for those who don't know, Rack is risk-aware consensual kink. Kind of, I would say, I don't know, it's definitely, I don't know if it's, no, it's probably not number one. A lot of people kind of follow or, or speak about safe, sane, and consensual However, Rack is, um, it's not necessarily an alternative. A lot of, you know, there's, there's not like Rack players, you know, screaming at the SSC players being like, you know, your way is not the true way. It generally speaks to how you construct your consent framework for your kink activities. And the kind of the, so SSC is safe, sane, and consensual. With Rack, there is this kind of explicit acknowledgement um, that safety isn't necessarily like describing. Uh, I think a lot of kinksters kind of look at it like trying to say the stuff we do is safe is uh, fundamentally not being honest about the actual activities we engage in. A lot of things we engage in are hot, are fun, are sexy and not necessarily safe as well. But the crucial component of that is everyone involved is aware of the risks, it's consensual, and it's kinky. And kind of the topic I wanted to do, uh, which is motivated by some, some thoughts I had around um, just things happening in my local community, is um, what does it mean to be responsible within the RAC framework? educating yourself on risks, to what extent should you consider yourself sufficiently educated to begin something? Is there even a best effort? You know, is it best effort? Is Do you kind of, you know, just go like, if you don't know that anything's particularly unsafe, is that good enough? And so that's what we want to talk about. So specifically, there was a situation a couple of weeks ago where someone was talking about uh, was describing to me a scene that they wanted to do. And it was characterized as um, being safe. Uh, and I didn't particularly agree with that characterization. I felt it was um, not particularly safe at all. Now, that's not to say it's not an activity that should be... Uh, shunned, um, but that uh, to describe it as safe, I think, was overselling it. I mean, in terms of SSC versus Rack, I would characterize SSC as kind of being the the baby step into kink, not because it's like less valid or like less rigorous in any way but it's i think it's the easiest one to introduce people to when they're getting started in kink like oh okay so what does bdsm have to be it has to be safe sane and consensual it's a lot easier to kind of drill into people's heads than 
risk-aware consensual kink. Okay, what does risk-aware mean? What you know? The, I think there's a lot more questions that come up when you try and tell a, a brand-new person who hasn't had experience necessarily with anything in, in kink about rack, or I think SSE is like a little, a little bit of a bite-sized nugget. But I think at their core, they're different ways of espousing very similar principles. And I think it has to do more where... Uh, the the onus falls on having it be good BDSM. Like for SSC, I think a lot of the emphasis that people put on, okay, what is what makes it good BDSM is a lot of people emphasize the like sanity aspect of it, or they emphasize the safety aspect of it. And so mm-hmm. if it's not safe, it's not it's not good BDSM. But the more that you get into the lifestyle, the more that you are experiencing more kinds of play outside of, you know, just spanking with wooden paddles and blindfolds, you realize there's a lot of things out there where you can't fully mitigate the risk for. They are still risky activities. And even things like spanking with wooden paddles and blindfolds can have elements of risk to them beyond just, you know, what you might see at the surface level. But it doesn't necessarily mean that they're super risky. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're risk-free. It depends on the individual person. But anyways, uh, where Rat kind of, I think, sort of picks up the slack from SSE, there are all those kinds of play that people still engage in because they're aware of the risk and know that going into it. So that would be things like bondage and wax play even and fire play, basically anything where there is an increased likelihood for injury. And it's not saying that the things are completely unsafe and you just have to accept that. It's just saying that, hey, you know, we can't make this a 0% risk level activity here, but we're going to do our best to be aware of what those risks are and mitigate for them in the way that we negotiate. Some people like playing with more risk. I know a couple people on the scene that do a lot of crazy shit under the umbrella of rack that I would never do because it's outside of my risk profile. And that's where we get language like, risk profile from which is basically how you evaluate is this something that I feel comfortable doing knowing the risks or do I feel uncomfortable doing it and don't want to proceed that's sort of how I think of it that being said I think it can be kind of a tightrope kind of navigating different people's risk profiles and learning how to respect that. And I know, I, I don't know if we've talked about it on this podcast, it's like a whole episode, but I know I've talked a lot about like, obviously kink shaming and things like that. Not necessarily a huge deal in the community, but there are quite a lot of things that people don't necessarily fully understand. And so that causes people to have like gut visceral reactions like shock collars a lot of people they hear that and they're like no no no, that's never safe no one should ever touch a shock collar we should not be allowed to buy them they Mm -hmm. should be illegal (laughs) like people jump off the deep end about things like that or like breath play or uh trying to think other things like that are that contentious but those are the the two big ones that come to mind like breath play and shock collars for some reason people have very very visual reactions to that and like it can never be safe no one should ever be doing them and i think part of that comes from a fear of like poor reflection on the community you know like you don't necessarily want people going out and doing that or or teaching random people how to do it because if something does go wrong then it looks bad on the community as a whole because then people go oh 
those crazy BDSM people always killing themselves for sex, aren't they so dumb? Like, you think that's kind of the, the fear that people have or just, like, the misunderstanding or just not wanting people in their community to get hurt and kind of almost yeah. feeling like a mothering instinct over other people in the community. Like, I have to save all of my babies from danger. And I get that way, too, especially being an educator online. I think it's, like, my job to always present my best foot forward always present what the safest route is because unfortunately as much as I try to make it obvious that you should go out and learn from classes learn from people in your local community find other resources I know there's always a chance that somebody's going to watch a video or read a post and have that be the only information they ever see about something and what they take away from what I say could have a direct effect on like their long-term health and well-being and I get super paranoid yeah. about that actually talking to somebody on my my Patreon about that earlier today um in relation to something that came up on Tumblr, because things always come up on Tumblr. And, yeah, I think, it, again, it can be kind of a tightrope walking between, like, where your comfort level is and where you think other people should be playing that. And that's where I think kind of going beyond SSE and RAC, you get into things like Prick, which is sort of my preferred bdsm methodology if you will and that is uh, personal responsibility and consensual kink and so that basically means like it's your job to be your own self-advocate educate yourself about the risks of the types of play you want to do advocate for your safety needs in a scene you know all, all of that stuff is basically saying you know very clearly in a way that i think rack implies but maybe doesn't necessarily make obvious that you are the one who is responsible for your knowledge not the partner and that's something i think is kind of missing from ssc and rack is like a lot of times again sometimes new people but it can happen with experienced people as well people in long-term relationships they think oh my dominant didn't tell me anything was going to go wrong so it's their fault that this went bad it's their fault that I got injured and you know maybe they did do something that was incorrect or maybe they didn't have full knowledge of it but that doesn't mean that like you should be a doormat as a submissive and assume that your play partner is going to yeah. know everything for you and communicate that to you. Like you need to be an active participant in constructing your own scenes and figuring out where your risk profile is. Because if you're not informed, you can't give informed consent yourself, which generally speaking means that you can't give good consent. Because I think that's another sort of axis that people think about this on is like informed consent versus run-of-the-mill consent let's say like sort of just like blanket consent like yeah that sounds fine like okay if you vaguely described uh, a, a breath play scene without actually you know telling somebody what the risk was and they said yes to that that's not necessarily informed consent because you didn't tell them what exactly it was you didn't tell them what the full risk were you just described what the sensations were right so i think um that's not always necessarily the best kind of consent to give in bdsm because again you gotta know what the full risk profile is before you can proceed with actually going into the scene itself. And getting back to what you were talking about in uh, the situation we had recently in our community about like somebody saying something safe but not necessarily actually maybe knowing the full risk or maybe having other people perceive it as not being mm -hmm. safe. I kind of have trouble with like making judgment calls about that for other people like i think if it were me and i was in that situation 
I would maybe want to ask them questions about like, oh, okay, like, where'd you get this idea from? Or like kind of the things that kind of get a sense of like where they were at maybe with how much research they had done. Or maybe it's just like a fantasy and maybe they don't intend to act on it. I don't know. I was not part of this conversation. But it's it's a really yeah. difficult position to be in to be like, oh, God, I know that that's really not safe. And what you're planning on doing is going to give you, you know, lifelong yeast infections or potentially going to break your neck or going to cause you lifelong nerve damage or you know whatever it is and you're just like you can't really necessarily be like you can always suggest in kind words you know here's what i know about this type of play have you considered this you have to be careful to be like oh that's not you can't tell somebody that their idea is dumb or that they're dumb because they're not going to listen to anything you have to say even if it's like heartfelt advice you know well yeah i mean i i don't want to focus too much on this particular situation that was more sort of like where what kind of started getting me thinking about this like I I think one of the things is I guess part of me just negatively negatively reacts to just like the like kind of calling anything safe at all. Honestly, like one of the things I like about um uh rack or even prick is like it's okay to say that things aren't safe. It's okay to be like all the activities I engage in none of them are safe. I mean, in my particular case, there are, like, safe activities I do, you know, but if I order Evie to, you know, prepare my dinner. You know, things that aren't meaningfully more risky than living life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I think that's something to keep in mind as well. Like, I, I think sometimes we can tend to oversell, like, risks and stuff like that. A lot of people will talk up the risks of certain types of impact play. But, you know, honestly, the reality is hitting someone with with a flogger, um, as long as you're not doing it in the face, uh, it's very, uh, I'm sure somebody just out there can send me an article or something about a horrible situation that went wrong. Cause somebody got hit with a flogger, but like that shit happens. But you know, if you think of how many people get flogged out there, it's a pretty safe activity. There are other things like breath play, um, blood play, medical play, um, there, again, all different types. Um, not, not every type will, will be inherently risky, but, but some can be. Um, and yeah, I guess that's what I'm thinking about is like, what does it mean to sort of have done the work you needed to do to make sure, uh, your play is going to be okay? I'm a little bit confused about what you mean in that last statement. What does it mean to have done the work you need needed to do? Well, it's like I mean, it's the it's like a legal concept you can think of as like due diligence. Um, like what, uh, what if any standard is there in terms of you know making sure that that you have done enough to protect yourself. What does it look like? What does it mean to um, uh, to to look out for yourself in those situations? And like as as a dominant, what have you done to to kind of keep the situation as safe as possible? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's difficult to like definitively measure like you've done enough research versus you've not done enough research. I think it's just important to be able to answer like. 
basic questions about whatever play that you are choosing to engage in. And I think it depends a lot on the type of play that you're doing and having like a having like a plan set up for like if something does go wrong like if you are thinking about doing a fireplace scene not only do you necessarily need to know about like okay you know this so-and-so part can cause burns or using this type of fuel will like burn for too long on the skin or, or whatever but like okay how do you handle it when it goes wrong do you have a plan for that have you read about how to you know if something bad does start happening do you know how to have it handled mm-hmm. Uh, or, or that kind of thing. And I think it's, you know, it's about being able to ask and have your partner answer intelligent questions about the scene that you're planning on doing. Like, if you're planning on going into a CNC scene and you just mention it, your partner's like, yeah, let's do it, you know, and not even, like, contemplating, okay, like, what is your emotional, like, profile for this? Like, what are your potential triggers for this? And you're like, oh, I don't know, it just sounds hot. Like, that probably means they haven't done enough research about it or, like, kind of thought about how this could affect them in a long-term way, which I think is really important for doing that kind of, like, mental mm-hmm. edge play, shall we say. And definitely CNC is one of those things. Um, but otherwise, I'm not really necessarily sure if there's any way to gauge, okay, you know enough about this type of play to be able to proceed and not, <laughs> and, and not you know, cause yourself unnecessary risk. I'm just not sure how to do that. Yeah, I I think there's like elements of, you know, have you uh, read what other people, other people's experiences, like other generally considered, um, you know, responsible, uh, informative educators, um, what they feel about that particular type of play. I think that's like definitely one of those things. I I feel like, you know, if you're like, Oh, I want to do this, this CNC scene. Um, but you don't, you don't read up on other people like doing CNC. Yeah. I I guess like that, then at that point, you know, are you really playing safely? Well, what if you're doing a scene where it's like, it's not necessarily something it's like a run-of-the-mill thing where a lot of other people have done it enough to be able to read experiences. Like, I know I have a couple of scene ideas in my head where it's like, I'm pretty sure I've never actually read anybody doing a scene like this before that would be available on the internet that's not pornography. So uh, what about when the situation's like that, though? Well, I mean, I think in that case, like, you have to you have to read what... Um uh what's available uh whatever could be close and and similar to those ideas uh if anything that that kind of means you need um there's an even higher obligation to 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 do your research because there isn't there aren't like existing resources yeah yeah that's true everyone has to do this everyone has to listen to me lord of of the uh, and I think at the end of the day, I mean, it's certainly valid to like play with stuff that's extremely risky, um, uh, as long as everyone is sort of kind of aware of uh, of the risks uh, to the best of their ability. And I don't think it's necessarily worth holding uh, people responsible for things that go terribly wrong that may have been uh, rare risks. But you know, if you it's like if you tie up your partner 
and his parents come home and your parents kick you out of the house, that's like, uh, that's a foreseeable risk. And you may, uh, you may have needed to change like where you did that or, or addressed other parts of the, the situation. So, you know, I don't know. Okay. Well, I know when we were talking about this yesterday before, obviously, we were filming it, there was something about the role of a dominant in all of this, and I'm really interested about hearing that aspect of this thought pattern, if there was anything there that you wanted to talk about we haven't covered yet. Yeah, I'm not entirely certain how much I feel it's like the dominant as much as, like, everyone involved in the scene does need to educate themselves but certainly like my view of of like something a dominant should do is they should have a really good idea of of kind of like how the scene can turn out and things they need to do to um mitigate any likely uh risks around a scene gotcha and i you know risk there's there's people out there who are who are like kind of like pros at at you know figuring out risk and and looking at all these situations. And I think it's worth pointing out, uh, and it's worth keeping in mind when you do hear about situations that go wrong, even even horribly badly wrong, that we are engaged in activities where there's there's not going to be any like UL certified um, fuzzy cuffs. You know they're we the kink community by its very nature operates in kind of shadow you know there's not going to be like government studies on how do we improve the safety for kinksters you know there's no iso standard for a suspension um i'd love it if there was one but we sort of have to it's worth keeping in mind that when something goes wrong and you hear about it that oftentimes uh, that knowledge and education isn't something that is going to be available. That's kind of my thought. I think it's, this is one of those thoughts I think that's more about like a broader conversation um, than like trying to like necessarily educate our listeners here and just be like, this is the one true way of doing things. I think it's worth talking about your talking with you know the people you and i'm talking listeners i'm addressing listeners here it's like it's worth talking to the people you play with and getting their perspective on this um uh so that you make sure you're um you're speaking the same language basically yeah making sure that you're on the same page is i think the most important aspect of all of this like if you're on different levels of what you expect from your partner in terms of their knowledge going into something I think that's really important to to know about because it's one of those things that I think kind of gets unspoken because everybody makes assumptions about what the other person knows about something sometimes and especially if you're ongoing play partners and you've done other types of play before and you've kind of already gone through the vetting process and you've negotiated with them before I think that can lend a comfort level to engaging in kinds of play that maybe you didn't 
explicitly negotiate for as much in the beginning and, and sometimes that can cause cause issues where you're like well I thought we were doing it this way or I thought you had accounted for this or I thought you knew about this and then your partner is like mm -hmm. well no actually I didn't realize that this was an issue at all or you know you never brought that up so I didn't think about it and, or blah 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 and especially when it comes to scene intensity level like you have to make sure you're that... on the page about that yeah, and also like kind of appreciation for um, heavy emotional stuff. Um, I say that that's like one of those risks that oftentimes gets missed by like people just with different life experiences because you have this this different experience, and uh, it's something to keep in mind. Like uh, if you're if you're this big, you know scary male top type when you're playing with you know people with different backgrounds different experiences something that may have never been on your radar as as anything uh really worth much of a concern um like triggers and and stuff like that uh especially when dealing with scenes with a high like emotional component like consensual non-consent uh, talk with them about that and and specifically um, acknowledge it and and kind of give that the power I'd say like if I had like one thing to sort of like get a little preachy about here it's keeping in mind like the kind of that emotional power that exists yeah definitely I think a lot of times again I'm gonna keep saying it a lot of times when you're new the physical aspect is the first part you think of when in reality a lot of the toughest parts of BDSM are How do we stay out of the news? Not the physical part, but the emotional. I'm sorry, what did you say? Uh, basically, how to not be in the news, I would say, is what most people kind of tend to, to focus on. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably true. I mean, that's not something I've ever really been concerned about. Like, I've never thought to myself, oh, I can't do this because it'll be in the news. But I also play a lot in public dungeons for the most part, so. Well, more like, you know, um, BDSM scene goes wrong type of thing, you know. Not like manic goes himself death, in park, yeah. ends up on the news. You, okay. Exactly. Exactly. More something unfortunate happens. Um, yeah. So, um, there's that. I don't know. I think this is a good chat, and I think this is the start of a conversation. With who? Uh, with the audience? Do you have any other... What? With the... Yeah, the, I was conversing with the audience. I mean, they were very quiet, um, but that's on them. I, you know, I don't expect them to, to always talk. Sometimes, you know, it's just you start talking, and then hopefully if they have anything to say, they'll speak up. So, you know, that's me being a little bit silly. Uh, but that's me. I'm silly. Uh, do you have anything you think uh, is worth adding? Not at this time, no. Okay. Uh, well, further further conversations to have. I mean, that's what we're all about here, is having conversations. Um, and here, of course, is the Kinkier World Podcast. You can actually join in on that conversation if you would like. You can leave us comments in the SoundCloud comments below. Feel free to message us at kinkierworld at gmail.com. Or perhaps you could find us on one of our many Tumblers. You can find my Tumblr at Mr. Tex, or Mr. Tex, M-I-S-T-E-R-T-E-X dot Tumblr.com. My puppy V, where can people find you? 
uh, Evie Lupine on Tumblr, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, all those good places to find me. Those are all great places. You know, you're just you're just crushing it on those. So I think um, we'll leave it here, our lovely listeners. And uh, thank you for listening. And it just leaves us to say bye. bye.